Hello and welcome to Student Affairs Live. I'm your host, Tony Duty, and I'm pleased to be joining you from my professional home at University of Delaware. We broadcast on the Higher Ed Live Network, and you can tune in to Student Affairs Live Wednesdays at 1 o'clock Eastern Time. In a moment, I'll introduce you to our guests, but we can't do that without first giving a shout out to the sponsors that make Student Affairs Live possible. Higher Ed Live is produced by M. Stoner, a digital first agency committed to tailored solutions that drive real results. This broadcast is sponsored by ACPA, College Student Educators International. Support for Student Affairs Live is one of the many ways ACPA provides innovative professional development. Visit myacpa.org to discover additional personal and professional development opportunities. Now, I want to take a moment to thank Robin Janice, who is helping to monitor the back channel and forwarding to me your best content and questions from the Twitterverse. So let's get right into the show. I'd like to, to, to welcome and thank our guests for, for uh, hanging out with us today for the next hour and ask you to each start off by describing your current role. And I'm curious how you might describe eSports, kind of your elevator pitch in 45 seconds or less. Let's start with you, AJ. Hi, my name is AJ Dimmick. I'm the director of eSports at the University of Utah. We are the first uh, power five school in the country to elevate esports to a varsity scholarship sports. Uh, but we are not the only now that the good folks at Ohio State have uh, elevated esports on, on their campus. Uh, and to me, uh, what esports is, is very simple. Esports is a grassroots student movement across the country to raise the profile of their passions esports and be so active and uh, visible on their campuses that they are making it by themselves uh, with now some institutional help from their administrations, the next great college set of sports. Love it. All right, Brandon, let's hear. Yeah, I should have gone first, AJ. So I'm Brandon Smith. I work here at The Ohio State University. Uh, I've been a proud member of our student life team here at Ohio State for at least the last five years. And for the last six months, I've been serving as the director of esports here, as well as some other duties I have for student life. So as we talk about esports, usually we start with competitive online, you know, person against person or, or team against team, team video game uh, competition. But as AJ said, you know, as we bring it to the collegiate level, it takes on a slightly different flavor, right? It's an entree into different career opportunities. It's an entree into leadership and teamwork. Uh, and it's something that we can also build off of as we work across Ohio State, at least, from Devil lead into. There's there's a lot more we can do from an academic perspective and a research perspective. So eSports, you're playing against other people in a competitive video game, and we're going to take it to the next level here at the college. Awesome. All right, Deb, let's hear the faculty academic perspective here. <laughs> right. So I'm Deb Grisbowski. I'm faculty uh, in the College of Engineering, Department of Engineering Education at Ohio State University. And I got into this involved with eSports because I've been um, advisor for the student organization called eSports Initiative since 2011. So I'm exposed to it from a different perspective, actually, initially. And uh, that really has to do with kind of like how, how AJ described it as grassroots growing. This is what students are really interested in. And it is like usually competitive, sometimes just for fun, online gaming. And um, I think what I'm really excited about is my role now as co-director of the undergraduate major in game studies or game, game studies and esports is that now we'll be able to allow these students who are passionate about gaming to also major in some areas surrounding gaming 
and um, turn that into a career. Fantastic. Is it the first major that you've uh, you've seen around the country? Um, no. It's it's not the first major that has some aspect of esports, but ours is going to be comprehensive. Awesome. Yeah. So it's the first comprehensive one. All right. Looking looking forward to hearing more about it. All right, Tyler. Hey, uh, I'm Tyler Schroep. I'm the CEO and founder of the Electronic Gaming Federation. Uh, and our role in the esports world is uh, essentially professionalizing the amateur slash scholastic uh, portion of the esports industry. Uh, so we run uh, collegiate leagues for some of the biggest universities in the country, including Ohio State. Uh, we also run a, a high school component of that where we work with school uh, states like Virginia, Connecticut, Alaska, uh, now Tennessee, Texas, and New York, and a bunch of others. Uh, where we work with schools to help them develop programs, uh, provide the league and the governing structure that those teams compete in, and then do all the broadcasts and, and everything else that's sort of including in making sure that people have the best possible experience and that people kind of coming in from the outside uh, have an opportunity to explore what esports is uh, sometimes for the very first time. Uh, so when we pitch esports, we're always looking at esports sort of as a, a platform, so kind of a culmination of everything that everybody else had mentioned, where we think about esports as the opportunity to provide um, sort of a path to a professional career, either as a player or as someone working in the industry. Um, and even more so than that, sort of a, a great motivating and, and sort of beautiful uniting tool for people that play video games to look at other things like um, health and wellness, general social opportunities, and, and a bunch of really other awesome things that uh, I don't know too many other activities that really bring together people like that. Love it. So, so Brandon, why? Should colleges, in particular, pay attention to and, and invest in organizing esports? What's the institutional benefit? Well, I mean, we know if you look at your student organizations at every university, you'll find pockets, and you, there are probably more students than you know that are actually gaming. They're in their residence halls, they're in their apartments, they're coming together and dragging their rigs across campus to the student union so they can have a LAN party on a Saturday all day long. Um, so we know they're gaming already. What we really hope to provide is we've talked with our students and we've heard them say, but I want to wear the school colors. I want to represent the university. I'm really good at this, and I, I'd like to do this on behalf of my university. So from a competitive perspective, um, they want to go out and represent the Ohio State University or, or University of Utah and say that I'm, I'm part of this university as well. But we also take that to another level of this is a way for us to reach students that we may not already be seeing except for in the classroom. You know, we want them engaged in other aspects of their university life. And if they leave the classroom, go do their homework, and the next time we see them is the next day of class, but not involved in student organizations or not connecting with other students on campus, that's a missed opportunity for us. So we see an opportunity for more of the casual and social gaming as a chance to bring them in, have them meet other students, and then they can be exposed to other opportunities across the university. Um, so at, at Ohio State, we've chosen to capitalize on this now because we're, we're, at, the, we're at the right timings. So the question for every university might be answered a little bit differently. Um, as Deb will represent, we, we're launching an academic program that's interdisciplinary. We have research projects that are moving along that are gonna be connected to the academic side as well as the student engagement side. So that's why we've chosen to invest at this time is it's, it's the right time. Our students are watching it, they're competing in it. It's something that they're interested in even more so than some other aspects of watching television. And it's, it's a way for us to meet them where they are. So, so Tyler, I've I've really I've talked to other professionals, other colleagues around the country and, and locally here at University of Delaware. I've found it challenging to describe how big and mainstream esports has become. 
Can you share some stats or numbers to, to provide some context for this? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the professional scene is kind of what made everything that we do possible. Because, I mean, if you think back to, you know, when I first started competing back in 2001, uh, when Counter-Strike was sort of the preeminent thing, it was really just uh, people that loved playing video games but weren't quite aware of what was out there in terms of the broader community. Um, when you fast forward to the introduction, um, the introduction of Twitch, that's sort of one of the biggest catalysts that made everything else possible because now it was really easy for people to to watch esports. Um, and then all of a sudden there was this massive amount of people. Now it's, uh, I think, just over 275 million people a year watch esports on Twitch. Um, and it's uh, kind of enabled uh, a lot more mainstream acceptance and, and starting to see uh, professional investment. Uh, like there was you say that Drake uh, invested in 100 Thieves. Uh, so there's all these people that are now investing in teams because there's been a an effort at the professional level to formalize things. This pretty similarly to how you see in traditional sports, where now there's franchises, there's professional leagues. Uh, people are making you know six figures or sometimes significantly more than that um, as players, um, and really starting to take on a lot of the same traits that you'd find in traditional sports. Um, and as we're thinking about um, esports on campus, both at the high school and college level. Uh, when we do our national surveys, we tend to see that gamers are super diverse uh, and that about 70, between 65 and 75% of students self-identify as gamers. Um, and about 30% of that population uh, want to play competitively. Um, and a similar number of those students are looking to get involved with the esports industry in some capacity as a professional. So all these sorts of things have created this really cool moment in history where now we're starting to be able to um, fill out some of those question mark pieces. Um, and I, I guess just some other stats, uh, like the International, which is the, the biggest esports tournament uh, in the world in terms of prize money, uh, put out about $25 million uh, for their last International this August. Um, so things are, are getting to a scale where they're not quite the level of professional sports in terms of salaries and things like that, but it's getting pretty close. Um, and it's been growing significantly year over year, and it doesn't seem like that's going to stop anytime soon. Wow. And and we don't need to, to get to this now, but I, I would imagine it would be helpful if we could, if we'd be able to share with other professionals some of those statistics so that they can help advocate and, and pitch on, on their campuses. Um, as you're all talking, I'm thinking, gosh, I need to create a glossary based on what you've said. Um, Brandon, you brought up LAN, that's local area network competition, yes, sorry. right? Yes. And then, and then Tyler, you brought up Twitch. Can you describe Twitch for someone who has no idea what that means? Yeah, Twitch is uh, basically YouTube uh, specifically for live streaming, and it's uh, generally gamers, overwhelmingly gamers, although now you'll find uh, Thursday Night Football on Twitch and uh, the NBA, I think, is coming to Twitch in the winter. Um, so it's basically the, the largest live streaming platform in the world, except for maybe a couple out of China, uh, and it's sort of been the enabling platform for a lot of what we do now cool all right aj so you you university of utah has really taken an, an academic uh approach to this can you can you talk about some of the skills learning competencies that you found students gain from participating in competitive gaming yeah we we do uh view it both as a both as a mainstream sport, as it as it would be housed in athletics, and but it is, in the University of Utah, it is housed in an academic unit in the engineering, uh, the entertainment arts engineering program. But yeah, and 
this is an important question to me because of the view on gaming and esports to people that are not conversant in gaming and esports to the uninitiated because we're constantly and we're, what we're really talking about what we're really dealing with is the meme of who gamers are and uh, what they do and what they and what their activity level is and so people have the meme that they're the kid that has been in his grandmother's basement for three days hasn't seen the light of day and it doesn't talk to people right i mean so so people view it as maybe a counterproductive activity when what it really is and what people don't understand who aren't engaged in esports is all of the positive outcomes and learning outcomes that you have by participating in a mainstream sport are present in esports and that is that is the case uh, at the university of utah they're a highly competitive team they practice for 20 hours a week they have coaches sports psychologists nutritionists uh fitness experts uh they have a film study where they watch themselves and they watch their opponent they they scout themselves they recruit and so uh, you learn uh dependency on your teammates communication perseverance you learn how to lose well and so all it's so simple that to explain to people that when you get into this, it's so easy to just transpose all the same positive outcomes for experiencing mainstream sports and do it here. Because while it is the vernacular is different and it doesn't look the same, what they're experiencing and how they relate to it and how they're part of a community is really the same as being on a football team, a basketball team or a baseball team. So you liken it to, to athletics and like a few other colleges, University of Utah is providing scholarships for gamers. So so do you get a lot of, I'm, I'm just curious, do you get a lot of applications? How do you assess the gamer's ability to award a scholarship? Well, n number one, I like to say, while, while this does have a lot of parallels to mainstream sports, the other thing people misperceive about esports is how good of students they are and how they are the exactly the type of students that you want to have on your campus. When we announced that we had a team and we started uh, circulating literature to people because we're in the early stages of esports recruiting, it's hard right now, right? And so you, you need those students to, and those, those very good gamers to find you in addition to finding them. And so when we started circulating that, that literature, uh, had over 600 respondents within a couple of weeks and over 70 percent of them were were students that were interested in pursuing uh stem majors and so the, and those are the types of students that this appeals to on your campus and it tends to gravitate to those things and over one-third of them were international students looking to uh come to school at the university of utah and so this is a more broad audience and it, it is uh tends to be over on the on those stem sides but uh as far as what we look for this is high competition in addition to all the piles of outcomes we want on campus and for the kids and so we're looking for for kids that want to be students first want to come here to get their degree and not just participate in esports they need to be serious about about their life uh, as a student but after that just like a football and a basketball team we're trying to recruit and find the best kids that we can possibly find to field the most competitive teams that we possibly can and so it's a it's a fun time in college esports cool so Deborah, I'm hoping you can take us through the why and how Ohio State created an academic major around esports. And from t talking to some of my faculty colleagues here uh, at University of Delaware, I understand that creating a new major, particularly across disciplines, is no easy feat. So, so talk us through how, how this came about and, and how a school or faculty might um, have these conversations at their institution? Right, that's a great question. So um, 
actually the in, initial interest in creating an undergraduate major did start in athletics. So um, there was a, one of the athletic um, employees was out in Vegas and um, was with his son and he went to one of the big esports finals competitions. I don't remember which game it was out there at the time and was just so impressed with how many people were there in person and then realized, wow, this isn't the entire audience. There's a whole online audience too. And look at the enthusiasm and everything going on. Um, so he kind of brought that excitement back to Ohio State and started talking it up. Like, why don't we look into this? Why don't we do something more with it? And so um, their advancement people were given permission to start looking around campus and see what's happening in research, what's happening in academics to support this, what's happening in student life. And so they came across me because uh, I'm advisor for the student or esports initiative. And um, they brought together other people on campus who were just in little pockets here and there doing pieces with game design or game development, you know, different aspects of doing research on different things. And they were able to bring us all together into a room. And it turns out that we are from five different colleges. So we have Arts and Sciences, the Fisher College of Business, of course, College of Engineering, uh, College of Education and Human Ecology, and the College of Medicine. So um, yes, we have seats at the table for faculty from all five of those colleges. And um, at times it is like herding cats, trying to get us all together to get everybody's input into it. But um, actually they've been really great. Um, we have a big team. It's um, I'm co-director with, with Alan Price, who's faculty out of ACAD and um, both of us have been um, actively leading this group of faculty from all of the colleges to um, create our, we, we started actually with interviews from companies and also talking to students about what their, their needs and interests are. But we found out from industry that Ohio State was not putting out students that have all the skill set that they need for this industry. So, that's kind of where we started. And uh, from there, we all brainstormed for a day about what do we want our students to look like? What skill set should they have when they graduate with an undergraduate major in game design and esports? And I have to say up front that please don't think this means that we are teaching students to play games. No, it's everything surrounding it from the academic side, right? So it's production of events, it's the streaming, it's the broadcasting, shoutcasting of the events. It's the business side of things. It is also, you know, there's all the data analytics and all that that goes with it, the streaming. It's the game design, the creation of games. It's the coaching, it's the rehab, it's everything, you know, nutrition for the athletes. Um, so it's a really comprehensive major. And we've come up with eight goals and, um, we're moving forward. We're hoping to have things pretty close for, um, you know, I, I cringe when I say this, but um, if things, if all the stars align, we might have pieces in place for the fall of uh, 2019. I, I have to imagine that that will be 
and and probably is for you for Utah a great recruitment tool. I'm guessing your admissions and enrollment folks will be real happy at uh, at the announcement that that you've made. Who who is at the table at the most senior levels? Who who is present at the table having these conversations around esports? And so, I, I can yeah I can speak. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Thanks, Deb. Okay. Um, we the other thing that. Um, the part of the, the development of the curriculum and the program that, that Deb mentioned and we've been fortunate with is that we've had um, interest from very some senior levels here at Ohio State University. So our, our provost is, is leading a group of uh, university leaders to make sure that because we're, we're working through three pillars at the same time, through academics, through student engagement, and also through research, that we have leadership uh, at the highest levels all in sync with each other to make sure that the rest of us can keep in pace. Um, we want the student engagement side to benefit from what's happening with the new major development. We want the, the academic program to, to, to benefit from what's happening in research. So um, that's, that's one of the things that's really helped enable all of us to move forward. Uh, and we're doing it all at the same time. Again, there are programs that have done lots of this already, like, like we talked with AJ, right? He's got a very successful program at, at Utah. Um, similarly with some other large schools with the, the student engagement and the competition side, there's other programs that have uh, academic majors and game design. Um, so ours, we, we, we know we're late to the game, but we're also, uh, we're pretty large and we like the fact that we're developing all these new things together at the same time. So we still have a lot of questions to answer. So you say you're late to the game. Um, do, we ha do we have an idea of how many institutions are, are actively engaged at, at this level? Well, I, I mean, I'll, I'll take this a little bit that, I mean, so at the University of Utah, we have a game design program, the entertainment arts engineering program. And when we engaged in it uh, 10 years ago, we're in year 11, we have 600 undergraduate students getting a bachelor's of science in games and 130 grad students. Uh, there were three, four, five or six. Now there's literally hundreds, including uh, uh, at uh, where Tyler's from, RIT, who, have, who has also a huge uh, uh, academic program invested in game design and esports uh, out there. So yeah, it's it's robust, but as all things, when Ohio State jumps in, it's a game changer. <laughs> so I'm gonna direct this next question to, to you, AJ, and kind of shift the conversation to the competition then for a moment. I understand having gone to, to a recent conference on esports that there are lots of opinions and philosophies around organizing intra and intercollegiate competitions. So some people think publishers should organize, others believe commissions or external companies should, should put it together and still more think that schools should wind up organizing amongst themselves. Can you briefly go through the pros and cons to each approach? So I think to give context to this question, the most important thing to understand is just as I have in previous questions made parallels on this between mainstream sports, uh, and how it exists there. The most, perhaps most nuanced thing you can understand about esports is while nobody owns football and nobody owns basketball, for you to engage and participate in this space, you are using the intellectual property of a game publisher and you have to collaborate and cooperate and have relationships with them to be active in this space. And that offers a complexity to this that perhaps other sports don't have. And so, yeah, all of the really large current, uh, uh, things in college esports are very entrenched in publishers and there are positive outcomes and negative outcomes one they have a direct 
they have a direct uh, line to those communities on college campuses and interact with them directly. But as college esports continues to grow in scope and its viability as a self-sustaining sport continues to grow, that is going to become less and less and less the case. And to me, uh, the colleges have to jump in. And we do have to self-organize this to some point with our students. It can't be a usurping their role on our campuses and taking the things that they do very well and don't need old people to help them with. Uh, but we have, to, we have to play an active role in this and self-govern this as it continues to grow. Uh, because one, uh, there's, we have to be able to support our students and be able to, have to be able to pay for our students and be able to have to help our students identify with the campus and support them. But number two, there are agendas on every college campus where, where uh, we are the best ones equipped to understand what supporting our students needs to be. And we have to have a role so we don't continue to get these one size fits all solutions to everything across the boundary of college esports, where the publishers and third party entities have to serve hundreds of organizations. We have to jump in and self organize this and help our kids out to grow and help them grow this. Great answer. Anyone else want to jump in on that? And I, I, I'll add a little bit there because we do, we ask this, ourselves the same questions. AJ teed it off just right, right? I, I would add to what AJ mentioned is that esports programs, even today, even at schools the size of Utah or the Hastie University, are extremely small. Our staff are a part of an FTE and growing. Um, so as we've talked with some of the game publishers, we, we can't afford to sit here and manage. Here's our academic calendar for this game, and here's our academic calendar for this game. And, and here's our code of conduct, and here's how we're doing academic standards. For us to try to maintain that with different leagues through different efforts with every single game title, we just can't manage it at this point uh, from the size of what our, our personnel will be. We need to focus our efforts on supporting the students, helping them figure out which games make the most sense, how should we organize the teams. They're the closest to the ground on how we're going to compete and practice and win. And so we want to spend our time providing the supporting structure, not dealing with relationships I mean, the publishers are going to make money. They need to maintain their intellectual property. Nobody wants to take that away from them. But they also are asking for our help. And how do we make this game more inclusive? How do we make this environment better? How do we make sure there's greater inclusion of people of different ethnicities and genders actually participating? And the best place you can do that is at a university or at the high school level where we're already trying to raise good citizens. And we can add to that the aspects of collegiate esports. So uh, we do need to organize a bit differently um, we, we do need to listen to the publishers and work with them and say, if you want your game to be relevant for the next 10 to 20 years, here's how we can help. Here's how we can make sure that people can move forward and, and rely upon your game. And you can introduce new features that keep people excited. But at the same time, we need to know what the schedule is going to look like for the next semester because our students need to be able to practice and compete and not have to worry about missing a final because they're not going to do that. And I'll, and I'll say is the, the third party league that, you know, is working on a lot of these challenges. One of the things that we spend most of our time on is how you develop that infrastructure to make sure that everybody's able to do what they're really good at without having to worry about how it all comes together or what the glue looks like. Um, and the deeper you dive into it, the more sort of unique expertise you need in a, a variety of ways. So for us, we're always looking at how does the governance work? How does the economic model of that work to make sure that these programs are sustainable over time? Um, how are we dealing with the fact that games change over a course of years? Now the games that you know were played in 2001 are not the same as what are played today, and that will probably be the case going into the future. 
So when we sought out to build the leagues that we have for our universities, we first started with the fact that our number one mission is making sure that everything is done in the interest of the students in our institutions, um, that is membership driven. So we're not, we, our job is to work for those universities, not to, you know, sort of pursue our own agenda. Um, and then to go to work building this infrastructure that allowed the different pieces around competition, education, social impact, and all those things were um, able to kind of come into their own fruition, whatever that ended up looking like over time with something that was consistent and stable and, and able to produce those. And so now all of our, our pitches to universities are really focused on, you know, here's all the things that need to be included in this. Here's how we want to support you to make sure that you can do this to the best extent of, you know, what you want to do for students um, and then be able to follow through on that. And this is going to be around for, you know, and our personal goal is, you know, the next century or so and certainly be up there with the same type of age that you see now in traditional sports institutions. So I think the, what you'll see over the next year, the next two years, the next three years or so is a lot of consolidation and a lot of changes in those perspectives um, because you'll certainly see a lot of people taking a lot of different approaches and in the end it just ends up being uh, what ends up actually delivering on all those promises. So Tyler, there, there's lots of departments and and again, I've had conversations with folks and, and I think there's representation here in, on this episode from different departments kind of taking the lead uh, for esports. Can you go through some of the pros and cons that you have seen for organizing either under athletics, student affairs, recreation, academic affairs, or, or maybe some area I've not identified? Uh, yeah, for us, uh, whenever we're working with campuses, uh, we usually follow the Ohio State model. Uh, it, in our opinion, is sort of the most comprehensive and the best uh, approach to dealing with everything that needs to be dealt with right now without creating more headaches for people uh, than is necessary. So um, as with most of the programs you'll see at the higher levels are organized either under student life or some sort of educational department. Um, and that adds a bunch of benefits in the sense that, that they're a lot more flexible uh, in terms of the opportunities that are available to students. Um, they tend to be very student focused, which is obviously, you know, as I just mentioned, kind of the first and foremost thing that we're all going for. Um, and it gives uh, some sort of unique perspectives as to how to build these programs in a way that hopefully doesn't end up creating the same sort of tension as exists between sort of the academic and athletic side and the traditional sports world. Um, and that's something that we're obviously, you know, trying to keep aligned uh, and together going into the future. Um, there are very few universities that have it under athletics, and sometimes it's just because they're a very small university where all their departments are sort of one department. Um, and so it just kind of makes sense to allow people that uh, are pretty used to working with like an intercollegiate governing body or the commercialization aspects. Um, normally when we, you've seen programs develop, again, kind of following Ohio State's lead is um, when these programs are led, the, the goal for us is to eventually get them to a point where they're big enough in terms of economic returns, student engagement, and otherwise if they're their own departments. Um, but we always have someone from athletics around the table to sort of offer their expertise because from our perspective, you know, there are many athletic directors that have been around in this industry much longer uh, in traditional sports than I have been on this earth. Uh, so we don't pretend to be experts in that beyond what they do. So we always try to bring them in to, to show us how that works. Um, but putting a program there creates a, a bunch of uh, unique tension points, especially around things like uh, the topic of amateurism, because in esports, you know, students are already on Twitch or YouTube, or they probably competed in tournaments where they've won money. Um, and that becomes a, a different challenge and why it's really great to have it elsewhere on campus. 
Um, but those perspectives become really helpful. So when we're building these programs for up and coming universities and universities will announce over the next couple of months, um, it's usually driven by a group of athletic, uh, somebody from athletics, somebody from the provost's office, somebody from the president's office, and somebody from student life. Uh, and it gives a really holistic um, approach to it and then putting it under either a student, um, student affairs, student life, uh, rec sports, or an academic department um, allows the program to sort of flourish on campus under its own um, power. You know, I, I'd, uh, I'd love to jump in on this a little bit because to, to me, like this, this is on college campuses everywhere. There are virtually no colleges in the country that are engaged in esports that are sitting down having a conversation going, we are going to do esports. Where does it belong on college campuses? Let's figure out. Uh, and that really is not the case. If you want to know who is housing college esports in your college campus, it's a bunch of kids that are begging for it to happen. It's that grassroots student movement getting doors slammed in their face everywhere on college campuses. So if you want to know where it's housed, it has nothing to do with what, if, is that unit on campus the best suited on campus to house it? It's who's willing to and simply who's willing to take it on and who's willing to open their doors. So it's an academic unit someplace because they were the ones going who said yes. Or in some small colleges, it is athletics because one, it's for small colleges and what they're very discovering is it's a hell of a retention strategy uh, for student engagement and to get students on their campus. And that's why they're, they're why the first schools jumping in tend to be division two, II, division three NAIA schools of that ilk. And it's in athletics and some other places because they in fact did say yes. And if you wanna know, there is an athletic depart department's obstinance that they are not believers yet. They don't think this is a thing. And so it is not necessarily that their skill sets aren't suited to have it or, or to, I for one believe it is dead center belongs in athletics. But the reason why they don't do it is, is because they haven't bought in yet. Uh, starting to now, but on every college campus, there are completely ill-suited units on their college campuses who are doing esports because they're willing to take it on and do the work and have, have people in large part donate hundreds of hours of time and do things that aren't their job to help get it done. And in college esports where they're institutionally supporting it, that is largely the model of, of which slave labor person is going to donate all their time to help students get this done. And that's what I mean is schools need to jump in, allocate actual resources in the form of, of people who are paid to do this, actually do this thing to help support these kids. Yeah, we've had a we since our announcement, which was just a few weeks ago, and we still have a lot to build. There have been a lot of those questions from advisors. It's been the advisors or people who manage student unions or other things like, how do we get started and where do we house it and how did you get going and and it, I think it's really it's a mixture of both. I've, my response has always been, every university's solution is going to be a little bit different. I think here at our university, we saw it as a as a much easier play because we have people who know facilities that we know how we work with our student engagement. We have a technology support team in student life. And so for us, that equation worked out very, very easily and very quickly for the student engagement <laughs> aspect. But again, you know, there could be a champion. There could be an advisor that sits somewhere in an engineering department. And that's where it makes sense. And they get traction and they get play and that's where they're going to house it. Um, so I, I think there's if we look. If we look at just org charts and look top down, we can make some recommendations or have some ideas about what was successful. But every university is going to have a different different approach, different levels of, of buy-in from leadership levels. Someone at the top level has to buy in um, in order to make this happen. So um, there, there really is no cut and dried, like, here's how it's going to work for this university or this college. That's right. And if, if I can add also, if like Brandon said, if we did not have the support of 
Ohio State, the provost, and um, a lot of our the president and, and so on, this wouldn't be happening here on campus right now, right? So uh, we're very lucky to have Brandon to help um, organize so many things for us and um, other people that are behind the scenes working with their space, developing our arena and so on. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a big group effort. Fantastic. So, so I want to shift again to to potentially the shadow side of of competitive gaming, gaming, and there there has been criticism that esports encourage a sedentary lifestyle, promote violence, can serve as a platform for bullying and sexism, and I imagine anyone trying to advocate or bring this up up the ranks um, to to senior leadership is likely going to have to speak to these issues. Any thoughts on how we can best respond? Yeah. Uh, we, we get that question a lot, primarily from high school, because uh, I think college has gotten, uh, for the most part, the folks that we get there is an understanding that if you can embrace something that engages students really heavily, that you can work through those challenges. Um, so at the high school level, it's mostly parents that have those concerns more than anyone. Um, and so there's a combination of studies and, and other facts that you can kind of point to around different topics. Um, but at the end of the day, this is one of the, the strongest engagement tools for this particular generation. Um, and as I mentioned before, when we think about it as a platform, the, the students that you're seeing participating in this are, are not just the stereotypical gamers. There are people that are on the football team. There are people that are doing um, all sorts of different activities and, and really high achievement. And so what we've been working towards in Ohio State, Utah, and all those other schools that are taking this seriously are now looking at it, okay, now that we've got students' attention, how do we continue to emphasize the social component of that? Because these are team-based games for the most part, and you're seeing those same benefits as AJ mentioned before. Um, how can we tie those in with the uh, physical trainers that are available on campus and really focus on the health and wellness component of it? Um, because performance is not just limited to um, how long you play a video game. It's you know what are you doing to practice good habits, to be in good health, and so all those different pieces. Um, even looking at the psychological component of that, um, it's why mental health is such a big thing for us at the league level um, and why there's all these different components to it. So while there's definitely um, a, a number of stigmas that we're always sort of uh, working against, um, whether you're talking about gender equity or, or any number of other topics that we could spend you know, an entire hour or significantly more on their own, um, eSports has that beauty of everybody being so bought into the idea because it's such a powerful tool you can start to shape those different elements of that, and that's what we're seeing on every campus uh, starting at the high school level. So it's still in its early days. There's still a lot of things that actually have to be to built out in the way that we, we want to get to where we want to be. Um, but it's, it's sort of the counter to in it. In it in and of itself is the counter to that argument and what it does for students. Mm -hmm. So, and if I may add um, to that, from the perspective of the academic side, and the curriculum that we're developing, we do realize that potentially there's an issue with the gender equity and race equity and uh, bullying or whatever you want to call it. And so um, we actually, like I said, we have eight goals for our program. One of them is focused specifically, it is diversity, equity, um, and, and that's totally what we're building in the curriculum. We we want to um, name it up front and call it out, and you know, you know, shine the light on it, and hopefully we will end it. Um, 
and it is a culture. And so that's also part of our thing is, is the teamwork and the culture that we want to build the professionalism and have students understand that if we want to be recognized as a professional sport, then you better behave professionally. And um, that that's, that's really an important part that we're looking at Ohio State. One of the things that I think I'd like to highlight on this is that, is that uh, it's how you frame that conversation of, of uh, are people saying that those issues exist with sexism and, and uh, how esports and gaming in general can be a toxic environment, so we should steer around it. Well, it's going to exist anyway, and it's going to exist for your students anyway in massive numbers. And just like many societal issues uh, throughout, the hist throughout history, it is the role of academia and higher education to not steer around those things and ignore them because they exist, but to steer right into it. And, and do research on it and differentiate between fact and fiction and some of the things that people say about gaming that may or may not be entirely accurate, but also to affect change. Of there are There is a lot of valid criticism that can be lobbied at the gaming industry and esports pertaining to its treatment of women, to its treatment of violence, uh, to its betrayal of women, that is in fact valid concern. And we have to be sensitive to the people that, are, that uh, bring those issues up, but also, it's my view that as somebody in higher ed, it's it's our role to to affect change in that area. And it's one of the things we try to do at Utah. And in fact, in one of the things because because we're invested in game development so much is one of the things we've observed is that game development is almost like 90% male as opposed to female, despite the fact that half the consuming audience is female. And our classes reflected that 10 years ago in the fact that in our capstone class of 45 students, there'd be three or four three or four women in there. And it's been a very high priority to us to try to affect that change, get more women involved, because he, of course there's consequences to the gaming industry because there's so little female engagement on the on the development side. And now it's over it's over one third female. And so those are the types of things that colleges can do. And yes, absolutely, some of the some of the criticism that you can lobby lob at, at games is true, and we have to help and we have to jump in. And rather than uh, avoiding it, steering around it because those things exist, we steer into it because those things exist. And we've kind of looked at it in the same way that everybody's looking at computer science now, right, and taking really active steps to not just create a better systemic environment, but also to highlight the women that are already there, if we're talking about gender equity or uh, minorities or, or any other component of that, um, to the point where we find that there are a lot of women, for example, in leadership positions, or sometimes the games that are offered are just not the games that are interested in certain demographics. And so what we try to do is highlight those different elements of it and show that there are these super badass women that are already doing this um, and that it's not an environment and that we're building the environment to make sure that it doesn't fulfill those stereotypes or preconceptions that people might come into and think that it's going to be super toxic. Um, and it's something that we're really excited about being able to start at the high school level because by enforcing like a really strict code of conduct, working with coaches to sort of create this expectation of anybody coming into that environment that this is the level of professionalization that you're going to have, and then working with all of our colleges to make sure that it's matching what they're doing helps to, over a long period of time, because these are definitely not issues that you solve overnight, um, to create a much more positive environment for everybody. Um, and as we're thinking about all those different elements of that, the way that we always uh, look at it is there is no easy answers, and therefore we try to look at everything that we can and address what we can as it's possible. Um, but there are some things that are just going to be Specifically, very long-term challenges, uh, and that's why we're really excited to have universities that you know think very heavily about these kinds of things. Because uh, if people choose to ignore it, then obviously nothing's going to get done about it. 
And Tony, I'm going to say that as when we're done with this podcast, we're going to make sure we have some of our friends in the, the professional leagues and the game publishers make sure they, they listen to this because these are all people that are in, they're just we're passionate about raising, you know, well, having young adults come in. They're already good citizens, making them better citizens, whether they're in esports and gaming or not. We want them to be able to be financially well, socially well, physically well, and all of those things. And at the same time, they can game and compete and still be winners with that. Um, we've talked with professional teams. We've talked with organizers of leagues at the publisher level. And they're, they're tired of dealing with you know some of their gamers who just are completely immature, haven't been here before, don't know how to act. When a professional team has to put a coach and some of its players on suspension for, for conduct, like it's the coach, right? Shouldn't the coach be mature and teaching the team? You know, that's that's those are the stories that we're hearing. And we're not going to say that as a student comes through a collegiate program that they're going to be flawless and perfect. But if we're going to make change, it's going to happen with our young gamers coming in through the high school levels and coming in at the collegiate level and showing them they can still be competitive, they can still have fun, and they can respect people uh, in the process. Mm -hmm. Wow, I, I think you're right, Tyler. We, we could probably do a whole episode on, on several of, of these topics. So I hate to, to move away from this um, and the great dialogue we're having on this, but I do want to shift again because I do want this to be something that, that folks can share with others uh, to help advocate and, and uh, really become more mainstream on, on campuses. So, so one of the conversations are around space, dedicating space on campus and where that should be. And AJ, I, I think you have space on campus and I know Brandon, you are creating space on, on campus. So they are starting to appear more frequently on campus. What are some of the considerations for designing and managing such a space? Like how do you deal with the tech support, security, supervision, updating software? Do you have time limits? Like how does that all happen? Uh, well, a lot of those problems I haven't solved yet at all. So, but I'll, I'll, address, <laughs> the, I'll address them a little bit and they, they do exist. Uh, uh, some of them you don't solve by design. Uh, but I will say that perhaps the most important consideration when you're looking to dedicated space and yes, we have a dedicated training facility and event facility for esports at the University of Utah, and it's about to get a lot nicer as we do a do a, a huge remodel on the space next year, where it will be dedicated to solely esports and spectating esports, uh, uh, and all things major college esports. But the biggest consideration is, is is once again comparing to mainstream sports is we have a huge uh, facility on campus that we built uh, five years ago just for football, big forty million dollar facility uh, just for the football team benefits 100 students and a huge basketball facility that benefits about 30 students and to build these huge things. The biggest thing that distinguishes esports from those other things is yes, we are growing that facility to engage in high competition in college esports, to train those athletes the best we can to be as competitive as we can. But it cannot just be a facility that benefits just the varsity programs and the esports team, that it has to continue to be growing with that grassroots movement uh, that exists of the 600 student driven uh, huge gaming club we have on campus, Crimson Gaming, that it was the reason why we have varsity sports at the University of Utah because they were so visible and so insistent upon it that anything that we do and anything that we do are invest in the space has to go back to complement that grassroots student effort. So we have to be willing we have to be willing to 
hand that facility over to those students and to the enthusiasts and the weekend warriors and the fighting game community and everyone on our college campus that has a stakeholder and treat everyone like a stakeholder and understand that college esports and varsity esports is about those teams, but it's about being that community hub on campus for that huge group of students to, to uh, coalesce around and have a home for. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree with, with AJ, right? It can't benefit just the students who make the competitive team and it's a bunker where they practice and they compete from and then no one else benefits from it. So, um, you know, with some schools already have a facility. We've designed a facility that we're, we're building right now. And it may not be, it's not going to be a massive facility that can hold all students, but we've made sure that there are zones for every one of those types of activities that AJ mentioned, that students can come in and have a, you know, our active student organizations and Buckeye Land and the eSports Initiative, that they can come in there and have meetings and they can collaborate. That students who play console games, which are different than PC games, have a place to compete, have a place to, you know, be online and network and play with people out there in, in the ether or play with their friends right there on the same network. Uh, we want to make sure we have a place for practice and competition. And the same thing for shoutcasting, right? We can produce video and stream video from that same facility and have an awesome Utah backdrop like AJ has behind him um, or switch to green screen and something else behind our shoutcasters. Those are all things we want to do in that space so that it can include as many students as possible with as many interests around game studies and esports as possible. Experience virtual reality. Um, again, as we manage this facility and we manage the secure, you know, the, the usage of it, um, you know, I don't, and maybe AJ can talk about their, their throughput and how much space they have, but we're, we don't, we don't know how popular we're going to be yet. So as our space large enough, uh, we hope so. We think there's things that we can do to manage it, but um, this industry at the collegiate level is changing so rapidly. Um, we, we can only plan so much and the rest we'll just have to experience and work toward. Yeah, and as far as security and playtime and screen time, my wife comes every night at ten o'clock to kick me out of the facility. So, so we we have that security system going. But no, it, it's a, it's, it's a community hub on campus, and and like our facility, uh, we're not only housing. We have four varsity teams, but we're also providing that space for seven competitive club teams to to come practice and hold their events. In addition to opening it for events to the general public, for the fighting game community in the Salt Lake Valley to come hold their events or or or, or others, and there's such a hole uh, on campus for those types of facilities to have those types of things. And so, yeah, I mean, it's frequently times not the most secure uh, place in the face of the earth because it can't be to serve its function, and you just it's just sort of the cost of doing business and those types of things. And and. Uh, Luckily, we don't have too many people that bring sleeping bags and set up camp and are are there for for uh, three days at a time because they all they tend to be good students and very serious about what they do. But uh, but yeah, I, I think even if you're not engaged in esports as a as a high competition next big college sport, that these types of facilities on college campuses that there's a huge group of under, an underserved community on campuses everywhere that could benefit from having that community hub on their campuses where they can come engage socially and have fun and do these types of events. And, and sort of that's what colleges, some colleges view esports is in some places we are transitioning uh, from pool tables and bowling alleys to now land centers where, where students can come and hang out and play, play uh, Hearthstone or WoW or, or all the other Blizzard titles that I'm gonna that have popped in my brain first, and League of Legends, and and so on and so forth. So those those are very necessary facilities and places to serve your students, whether you're actually engaged in esports as a varsity sport or not, in my opinion. So I, I think we talked about this a little bit, Deborah. I'm hoping you can share 
what I mean because it's such a such a cross discipline um, culture around uh, around esports. What are some of the jobs and career opportunities that either currently exist or might soon be created uh, as a result of this boom, this industry boom? Yes, actually, um, there are many, and um, I think I mentioned before that's kind of how we led our development of the curriculum based off of what industry needs were. So there are needs for people to manage and run the big competitions that go on, every aspect of that competition, whether it be the, the streaming, the marketing, right, the getting everything advanced set up in the facility. Um, then we've also got the, the shoutcasting side of things. So that's a really important aspect. The streaming and the microtransactions that occur with that, you know, currently we aren't teaching our students how to deal with those because it's it's different. Um, and of course, there's always the um, the coaching and the rehabilitation. That's all new for this. So those are <laughs> those are needed, as as has been mentioned. Not all coaches out there are um, doing their jobs appropriately. Um, and, and then also, of course, the, the game design, right? And game design and the coding of games, you know, games are not just for entertainment. Games are used for many other purposes, right? So they're also in the education area. They are using them in medicine quite a bit. And that's one of the reasons that um, College of Medicine is involved because they're used in, in rehab and in research in a lot of different aspects. So we have to also include those. So there are many jobs in the medicine area for helping see the need and develop the game that's necessary to fill that need. I'd love to. I'd love to jump in here. So, so we too are very into this, uh, uh, academically invested, and have uh, the new degree that just came online this year, the Bachelor's of Science in Games. EAE at the University of Utah has traditionally, for the first ten years, been an interdisciplinary uh, degree between film and computer science. And te technically what that is, it is, it is looking at the, look, going and talking to industry folks and figuring out where the holes are, where they can fill, fill those, fill those needs. Mm -hmm. And when you talk to industry people and, and I'd like to expand this past esports and just to the gaming industry in general, which the reason why this is such a big thing is because the gaming industry is substantially larger than the film industry now. So you can understand that how many jobs there are to fill, fill in this space. And so when you talk about it, if you talk about the different disciplines uh, that are required in making video games, in addition to marketing, shoutcasting, and those things which are actually quite new, what's old is game engineering, game art, technical art, uh, game designers, uh, which are uh, no students getting a job in game design right out of school. That's going to be his third job. But anyway, uh, old spiel. But, uh, and so we kind of do those things as well. And the key is, is that at the University of Utah, where throwing those group of students and that interdisciplinary work with those different discrete skill sets is throwing artists and engineers in a room together so that they can learn large software systems, learn a game pipeline uh, to be able to go out and, and get those jobs in the industry and having worked with the other and work in large teams and do it. At the University of Utah, uh, both in their bachelor's of science in games and the graduate program, they have to make a game uh, to graduate. And so over the course of their careers, they're gonna make four or five games actually in the four year program to do it, but they're gonna make a thesis games, both as an undergraduate, which they are going to have to ship to the public. And I, I, uh, I, I need Jen right here, Tyler, to tell us all about the RIT version because it's actually very similar, uh, where they, 
they have to ship a game. And so we, at the University of Utah, we have shipped over, in 10 years over 75 games. And the most notable part about it is the students actually own the intellectual property for everything and anything they create. You're actually own those games before they ship it out. Lots of award-winning games, lots of good things. And we too uh, have what we call the medical games and therapeutic apps lab at, at the University of Utah, where those EAE students, the, the kids that are invested in game development, we have a lab in the medical school, which is completely devoted to serious games and apps and medical games, uh, which is doing a lot of good work because the skill sets in the in these in all of these things of production, shoutcasting, writing, uh, game development, uh, game engineering, leak into not only the games industry, but every industry there is in the world. And we'll send four kids a year to go make flight simulators. We'll send kids to go work on, in the case of one student, go make UI UX for a luxury car line. And so these skill sets are not only are appropriate for games and are based in games, but they go out and everywhere and they're highly valuable to students getting employment. And so it is it's absolutely a very valid space uh, for colleges and universities to invest in academically. So we're nearing the end of our time here, and I want to get to these last two questions. I, I'd like to each of you to make a, a 60 second prediction, if you will, or less, on what you think esports will look like on college campuses one decade from now, knowing that this is archived and people will look back at this to see your accuracy, see how well you did. Let, let, let's go in reverse order now. Let's start with you, Tyler. Uh, so certainly our goal uh, has been broadly speaking to, to see esports in a sort of a professionalized manner on every campus and on in the world. So by that point in time, we, we hope we're a lot closer to that, a lot more countries and a lot more sort of certainty around how to make these programs really successful. And we're now past the um, sort of setup phase and now into the exploration of how can we take this really awesome thing that we've built over however many years uh, and really turning that into uh, something they can realize its full potential. So I hope by that point we'll be we'll well on our way to that and, and certainly that's our, our goal to make happen. Right, Deb? So I predict that uh, in the future that Esports, the competition, and um, the whole industry is going to be as big or bigger than than football is in athletics right now. We're going to have an arena on campus at Ohio State that's dedicated to esports competitions, like equivalent to St. John Arena or bigger. Wow! And they are are already filling those kind of arenas, right? They are. For, for the big national competitions. They are. All right, Brandon, what do you got? I think about 10 years from now, we'll finally have to stop explaining what esports and game studies are. Um, but I also think there'll be unique games. I think that there'll be there'll be a wave, a generation of students who are coming through school, and we won't have to worry about is there going to be great content for games. I think you'll see unique game design specifically for esports, specifically that's engaging. I think the nature of the games themselves will change over time. At the same time, we'll have really robust programs. We'll have students coming to our schools, what, knowing they're going to represent their team, put on their school colors, and go at it against each other. Or just like in our recreational sports or intramurals, they'll, or they'll come in and casually they'll have competitions against each other. Uh, I think those things will be commonplace. Um, but I, I think that we'll have an influence uh, from a collegiate perspective. We'll have an influence on how the, the games themselves are designed. All right, AJ. In 10 years, we'll have opened the doors to the John M. Huntsman Center, and we will put 10,000 people in the building to watch University of Utah esports events. Uh, esports will be a major college sport, and major media rights holders will pay for the rights to broadcast uh, college esports. Wow. All right. Those are big predictions. 
All right, final question. Can can I'm sure people have lots of questions and want to continue to explore some of the topics that we covered here today. Can you share each of you share some additional resources, websites, videos, conferences that might help viewers continue to learn about these issues? Tyler? Uh well, I will be selfish and say that we're great resources to research, reach out and work on things on campus. Uh, but we also look at um, everything from the eSports Travel Summit to the eSports Symposium. Uh, Legadier uh, is doing an eSports conference in this year. Um, otherwise, we spend a lot of time looking at um, everything that is sort of rolling over from traditional sports into this world. Uh, Twitter is usually the best place to just follow a couple team owners, uh, organizations, and places like that. Um, the eSports Observer puts out great uh, information demographics uh, almost every day, uh, and so does Fan AI. So those are the, the places that I usually spend most of my time if uh, it's not on the ground stuff that we're doing. Great. And there, there's also the Game Developers Conferences, GDEC yeah. East, GDEC yeah. West. GDC, yeah. That's what I was going to say, is, is there is so much, there's a Trevor Trove on the GDC vault uh, every year about college esports uh, and the esports industry in general, talking about every issue uh, under the sun in, in uh, both college esports and esports in general that uh, I would look at. Also, games.utah.edu to get information about game studies at Utah and, uh, and uh, the, the esports program at the University of Utah. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot of good resources out there. Yeah, and the, the main thing I would add is you there aren't you heard us all pause for a moment because we weren't we're trying to figure out what those best resources are so far the best resources have resources have been each other um so i've been asking from you know some folk uh, our friend mark debbie from uc irvine and and kurt melcher from from uh, robert morris uh we've been talking to each other getting started uh, but then again we're looking at a lot of the commercial resources as well how do we make this financially viable so i think esports business summit was a relatively new conference at the same time, uh, UC Irvine hosted their first uh, collegiate esports conference uh, a few weeks ago. So I'm assuming they're going to try to do that again next year. Fantastic. So I will tr try and take everything that you just mentioned and throw it up on the website so so folks can uh, cling directly to some of those resources. I want to thank each of you. This has been one of the most fun conversations I've had. I certainly I, I feel like I've got the right people on the panel here today. Um, so a great primer for folks uh, to, to dive in and explore. And, uh, and I will also list your contact information if you, if you don't mind. So if people have some follow-up, they, they can connect with you. Uh, I will be back next month with an episode on leadership development on college campuses. You can receive reminders about this and other great episodes by subscribing to the Higher Ed Live newsletter. You can also browse the archives at higheredlive.com or subscribe to our iTunes podcast. I'm Tony Duty. Thanks for watching, everyone. I hope you make it a great week, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Take care.